For our scripture reading this evening, we turn to the book of John, the gospel according to John. We'll begin reading in chapter 13, verse 31. John 13, verse 31. And we will read through the 14th verse of chapter 14. John 13, 31. Therefore, when he, that's Judas Iscariot, was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, Verily I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow, till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and Greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. This evening we're going to consider the first three verses of chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. For good reason, these words spoken by Jesus beloved people of God, are some of the most cherished and memorable words 
that can be found in Scripture. For good reason, the words of this text have been spoken at innumerable funerals, spoken by loved ones on beds of sickness and of death, spoken by individuals in their own hearts as they face death, or spoken to comfort those who are surrounded by all sorts of troubles and fears. Truly a word of God that has been balm for the troubled soul down through the ages, and for good reason. Because Jesus spoke these words in times of trouble and fear. He spoke these words, these exact words, to his own disciples who were filled with fear, who were troubled in the depths of their soul over the revelation that Jesus would be leaving them. These are the words that the great teacher, the master, the wise one himself said would be most appropriate and comforting to his disciples and have been not only to those gathered in the upper room with him, but down through the ages. We too consider these words, we know these words, and tonight we look at these words, not particularly in any time of trouble as such, but in connection with the occasion for these words, which were not simply the trouble and the sorrow of the disciples, their fears and their doubts, but the reason for them, which is the announcement Jesus is leaving. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus here is talking about his ascension and what he will do after his ascension. So appropriate words for us to consider tonight as we remember the great work of Jesus in his ascension and the reason why he ascended. Consider with me this evening, Jesus ascended to prepare our place. Jesus ascended to prepare our place. And we consider in the first place, the place. The place that Jesus ascended to and prepares. Secondly, the preparation. The place, the preparation. And then finally, the prescription. The prescription that these words are. First, the place. Jesus says clearly, I am going away. I go away to prepare a place for you. That is, my disciples, those who believe in God and believe in me. That place is the Father's house. When Jesus says he is going to prepare a place, that place, he tells us, is in my Father's house. This place, therefore, is easily seen to be, even by the children here this evening, the place we call heaven. That's the place that Jesus was going to. That's clear. It's clear from the passage because he calls this his father's house. And it's also clear from the fact that earlier Jesus had said that now he is to be glorified. Obviously connecting that with his leaving or his going away. The Father here obviously is the triune God, the one who is the Father of Jesus Christ 
and also our Father for Jesus' sake. Heaven is the Father's house. Heaven is where God lives. Heaven is a real but spiritual place. So that Jesus must go there. The fact that this is Father's house, that is, the fact that God is there is significant here. And Jesus makes a point of it. He doesn't simply say, I go to heaven, but I go to my Father's house where God lives and where God lives in all His glory. God is identified in Scripture as the God of heaven. He lives there. And we read that from heaven, God sees and judges all things. In Psalm 53, verse 2, we read that from heaven, God looks down upon the children of men to see if any understand. In Psalm 11, verse 4, we read that God's throne is in heaven from where His eyes and eyelids try the children of men. In Psalm 2, which is very much connected to Christ Himself, we read that He that sitteth in heaven, that's God, laughs to scorn and speaks in His wrath against ungodly and wicked men who rebel against the Lord and His anointed, that is, the Christ. But the emphasis here is not simply that this is any place God lives and where God lives in a certain relationship even with the ungodly, namely a relationship of judgment and wrath and condemnation, but where God is pleased to dwell with His family. This is Father's house. That is Father's home. This is a real place, a real place that Jesus says, even in a few chapters, chapter 16, verse 28, the place that he came down from where he left his Father. Heaven is the place then where God lives in love, loving fellowship with his only begotten Son, and where God lives, therefore it is his house and home, with all the sons and daughters that he has adopted in his Son, and whom he has begotten again from the dead through the lively spirit of his Son. So this going away refers directly to the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ into heaven. And we have that recorded for us in the book of Acts chapter 1, where after this event, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays with his disciples, where he is captured by the group sent out by the Sanhedrin to capture him, where he is brought back bound to stand trial before the Sanhedrin, is condemned to death, which condemnation is conferred and carried out by Pontius Pilate through crucifixion on the cross at Calvary. Then Jesus is laid into the grave. On the third day he rises from the dead. And then 40 days after that, he goes with his disciples to the top of a mountain just outside of Jerusalem. And there, in the sight of his disciples, he lifts up his hands, he blesses them, and he begins to rise into the air. And the disciples see this until a great cloud of glory comes and covers him up. And Jesus is gone. That's the going away that Jesus refers to here 
in this passage. It is important for us to understand, as Jesus himself emphasizes, that this is a real departure from Jesus, a real leaving of this earthly place to go to another place. Heaven is a real place, a real place that God has made, and a real place where God lives and dwells. But it is a spiritual place. It is a place very unlike earth, and even very unlike the two pictures of it, namely the heavens. The heaven we know as our atmosphere and the heaven we know as outer space. They are pictures of this heaven, but this heaven is entirely different. It's a place that Jesus arrived at not by going through the other two heavens till finally he ended, he reached the end of the universe and there ended up in heaven. But heaven is very close. But there is a great gulf between us and heaven, a gulf that Jesus transcended in the ascension. And he went to that place. That's one reason the ascension is mysterious. It is a miracle. It is an act of God's grace every bit as wonderful as the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And we should not underestimate, which we often do, the importance of this event for the Holy Gospel and for Jesus Christ himself. To our sadness and to our shame, we often elevate the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus over that of the ascension. When the fact is that all of these things lead to the ascension. For one, the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus were part of his humiliation. Whereas the resurrection and the ascension are part of his exaltation, part of his glory, part of his triumph and victory that we ought to rejoice in greatly. And even in connection with the resurrection, we read in our creeds and in Holy Scripture that Jesus was raised in order to ascend. The resurrection was simply a step in his exaltation. We might say he could not ascend unless he was first raised. And since he was raised, he must ascend bodily into heaven. That is why the Scriptures mention the ascension so frequently. As to the historical account, there are fewer mentions of it directly as history. Nevertheless, throughout the Gospels and throughout the epistles, it is referenced. Even as we have here with Jesus, notice... Jesus, the night before he is betrayed, the night before his own death, even before his own resurrection, references his ascension. That's what he has his eyes upon. That is even what sustains him there on the cross. The glory that shall be revealed when he ascends into heaven to see again his Father face to face. And that is why these same apostles who are comforted here with this word will preach this word about Jesus not only who died, who suffered and died, but Jesus who is raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. That's why we worship today. Jesus, in only a few little bits, will say to these disciples, if ye loved me, ye would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father. 
We worship today because we love Jesus and we rejoice that he could go to the Father and live again in his Father's house. And keep in mind, Jesus looked forward to that even though he had just told his disciples, the Father is in me. Yes, something mysterious and wonderful to celebrate with regard to the Holy Gospel. Now, Jesus says that in that house called heaven, there are many mansions. In my Father's house are many mansions. Mansions is used in Holy Scripture here to reference the glory of heaven. It is intended to bring to our mind by earthly picture the fabulously wonderful, beautiful estates and homes of very wealthy and privileged individuals. It is intended to bring to our mind palatial estates of manicured lawns, and wonderful gardens, and marbled floors, and gilded gold chandeliers of many, many rooms, the kinds of houses that only a very few can afford. Heaven is a place of mansions because, indeed, God is there. The glory of heaven is not that there are rich materials there and fancy things, but the glory of heaven is that God is there, God from whom all things flow, the God of all glory, the God who is far more glorious than all the mansions of this world put together. Heaven is the mansion of all mansions. And it is so because God lives there. God does not live in a dump. He does not live in a shack. But He lives in the most palatial, amazing estate of glory than you could possibly imagine. But the emphasis in the passage itself is not upon that word that word in the original is actually the word home or dwelling place. You may substitute that. In my father's house or home are many homes or dwelling places. So the emphasis is not upon the fact that this is a glorious, beautiful mansion as such, But what makes Jesus going there and so wonderful a place to be is that God is there and he's not just there as a present, not just there as the sun might shine in the heavens or there as a piece of furniture might be in your living room, but God lives there. And specifically now he dwells. That word implies that God is living there in fellowship and love. He lives there in His own family, as it were. Father and Son and Holy Spirit living a most perfect life of peace and joy and bliss and happiness that you could possibly imagine. And it's a dwelling place because God lives there not only with Himself, but God lives there with all His people. In that house, in that house of many dwelling places, is a place for many. All of God's children are there. And this is really the most blessed part of this house. We often forget, again to our shame, that what truly makes a house a home, what makes a home a most glorious and wonderful, a most blessed 
and peaceful place to be is not the size of it, not the decorations of it, not the kind of things that when guests come over go ooh and ah, but it's the people that live there. It's that mother and father live there with their children. It's the place where they share their life. And even more so, it implies they're dwelling together. It's a place where there is no strife, no arguments, no fighting, no anxiety, no stress. That's what makes a house a home. That's what makes a home a place that you want to be in and where one wants to live. Have a home where that's not the case, then it's not surprising when no one wants to live there, when children cannot get out of the home fast enough, or where even husband and wife find it difficult to live with one another. God dwells in this house, and that's what makes it the place that it really, really is. Now notice that there's many mansions or dwelling places in that house. That's an amazing expression by our Lord Jesus Christ here. He doesn't he doesn't say Father's house is a mansion or next to it is a mansion. He doesn't say that there's all kinds of mansions around scattered here and there, but they're all in that one house. Jesus is expressing here, number one, there's not a place here for everyone. That's often how people view heaven. Heaven is a place where there's a place for everyone. Even the ungodly who deny God and hate God, the reprobate wicked. Judas Iscariot, who was just dismissed from the table of the Lord. There's a place for them all. No, Jesus says there's many here. There's many. Now, don't mistake, that's a lot. Many mansions in the Father's house because there's a place for every one of you, that is, every one of Jesus' disciples. In this mansion, in this home of God, in this dwelling place, are many, many more dwelling places because there's one for every elect child of God. Many because they are innumerable themselves as far as we are concerned. More than the sand on the seashore. There are many as many as God has ordained to eternal life, has ordained to salvation in Jesus Christ, ordained to give faith in Him. And there's one for everyone. In Father's house is a place where above the door it says Abraham, and another for Isaac, and another for Jacob, and another for David, and Jeremiah, and Isaiah, and Paul, and Peter, and John, and a place for you, and a place for me. Many, many dwelling places there in this house. But what more than anything else makes heaven a place where these words of Jesus would be comforting to us, and would make heaven a place desirable is that Jesus is there. Notice what Jesus says. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You see, heaven is not the great place that we want to go, really, because that's where Abraham is, where Isaac is, where David is. But it's the place where Jesus is. The reason we want to go to heaven and the comfort of these words 
is not that heaven is where my long-departed wife is. That it's the place where my young daughter or son who died at a young age are. Oh, certainly. Oh, certainly, Jesus is implying that it's part of the wonder, part of the glory, part of the desire to go to heaven. But the fact is, if Jesus isn't there, then there would be no joy and delight in that either. What Jesus focuses upon is not simply heaven, and heaven even as God's dwelling place, but heaven as my home. I go, and I go to prepare a place for you. For you personally, that where I am, there you may be also. You see, we show oftentimes how really shallow we are, how earthly we are, how unheavenly-like we really are, how filled with doubt and unbelief we are, even like the disciples. When we want to know all about all kinds of things concerning heaven, will this person be there? Will that thing be there? What will we do there? How will it go? What will every day be like? And we forgot the most important thing, and that is that's where Jesus is. If Jesus is not in heaven, then all is lost, and heaven is no longer heaven. What's also amazing here and why we celebrate today, beloved people of God, is this too. We ought to be amazed that there is such a place there. We ought to be amazed not simply that there's a heaven. If there's a God, there should be a heaven. If there's a God, there should be a heaven where God lives. There should be a heaven simply for Jesus Christ and what He has done. But what's amazing is that Jesus tells us there's a place for us. You see, Jesus was the perfect son. Jesus was perfectly obedient to his Father, did everything, even unto death. But us? It's as if God took the scum in the lowest ghetto, living in the deepest dark sewer, forgotten and abandoned by everyone, people who not simply lived as slobs and scum, but who had completely destroyed the Father's house, who had said, we hate it, we don't want to live there, we despise the Father of this house, we want nothing to do with this house. We despise its furniture and furnishings. We despise its decorations and its beauty. We love the sewer that we live in. We love our home of clay and sticks that we're in. We want to stay here and stay here forever. It's those. It's those that God takes into His house. It's exactly those kinds of people that Jesus prepares a place for in his Father's house. Let's look at the preparing of that place for a little bit. Jesus says he has ascended to heaven to go to prepare a place for you. This has to do with his ascension. That makes clear the ascension of Jesus had a real purpose, and Jesus has real work to do. Oftentimes that is forgotten for this very same reason that we elevate the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus over everything else as if they stand alone. We sometimes act as if Jesus' work involved coming to this earth, being born, and then dying. That Jesus now is sitting at heaven with his feet lifted up the air on a footstool, and pretty much oblivious 
to everything going around him. If he does anything, he watches. He's not active. He's not working. And what he works has very little to do with our salvation. Not true. Our own creeds tell us why Jesus ascended and why Jesus himself even said, I must ascend. What advantage is it that Christ is, uh, to us is Christ's ascension into heaven? First, that he's our advocate. In the presence of his Father in heaven, Jesus is continually advocating for us. Speaking to the Father about us and speaking on our behalf. Secondly, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he as the head will also take himself up as his members. Thirdly, he sends his spirit as an earnest. So he returned. He came in his spirit, gives the spirit as an earnest, by whose power we seek the things that are above and not the things on the earth. In other words, the spirit. He's working through the spirit to make all things happen. But now here in the text we find another thing. He ascended to prepare a place for us. Now, obviously, these things are connected. They're connected to Jesus ascending to heaven and sitting at God's right hand. The idea is that God made him king, exalted him over all. So that all things now, all things in your life and mine, all things in this entire universe and world are governed by Jesus Christ himself, and he governs them on our behalf. Every disease, every change in the economy, Every election, every change of regimes, plagues, famines, wars, rumors of wars, economic downturns and economic advances, the rise and fall of kingdoms, your death and my death are all in the sovereign hands and control of Jesus Christ. Now that's important because it helps us understand how it is that Jesus prepares for us a place. And you have to understand that this occurs in a very most unusual way. Jesus indicates that when he indicates that this place that he is preparing is in heaven, which is already there, already exists. Not only that, when one reviews the work of Jesus in heaven, the Scriptures do not present Jesus as a sort of heavenly carpenter who's busy building a house in heaven. So we shouldn't imagine that this preparing a place for us is a sort of Jesus going to heaven and building some sort of building out of spiritual sticks and frames, as it were. Not only that, but a good key as to what is going on here is when in chapter 14, verse 23, the Lord says, If a man love me, he and the Father will make our abode with him. The word abode there is the same word translated mansion in our text. So this preparation has to do with us. The very same mansion, the very same place that Jesus is preparing is the same place that Jesus says is in us. That He and the Father will prepare that place in us. You need to put it together and you will discover that Jesus prepares a place for us in heaven by preparing us for that place. That's the idea of the text. How do we know that? Well, simply look at yourself. Are you ready for your place in heaven? And is there anything that has to change in heaven in order for you to enter that place? And the answer is no. The issue is us. We are not prepared for our place in heaven not only are we sinners, but we're flesh and blood. Not only that, but there's a lot about that place in heaven for us that we do not know. We forget. We pretend. We imagine sometime that 
heaven has a place, and therefore all these places are the same, that your place is exactly the same as mine simply because they're all in the Father's house. That's not true. If that were true, God would have made us all exactly alike, would have made all our lives alike, would have made everything the same. No. Just as with a house and just as with a body, there are many members, many parts, many places in that one place or body, and they're all different. And we have to be prepared for that. So what does Jesus do? Well, number one, you need to look at this from the perspective of Jesus. When Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, he doesn't imagine himself sitting there on the Mount of Olives and ascending. But he sees everything from the moment he spoke these words until that point. In other words, I go to prepare a place to you through death and the grave. I go to prepare a place for you in the next hours in the next days. Even as we read recently in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, what is it that he ascended? But he descended first to the lowest parts of the earth. Before he must ascend, he must descend into the lowest parts of the earth. To prepare our place, in other words, involves him entering into hell, that which we deserve. Requires that he prepare our place by being nailed to the accursed tree to bear the wrath of God for our sins. It involves him going into the grave and then coming out the other side. All that's involved with preparing a place. And you'll notice all of that happened on earth. So it should not surprise us then that when Jesus ascends and is seated at God's right hand and God makes him king and lord over all of the universe, that now he prepares our place still by working on the earth, only in a different manner. He prepares for you a place by preparing every individual aspect, every single event, every single detail of your life and my life personally. You may look at your life and say, well, this just happened. Or maybe if you have stronger faith, you'll look at that and say, well, that happened because God is in control. And if you have stronger faith, you will see that not only is God in control, but Jesus is in control. That that happened exactly because Jesus was preparing you a place. This is, beloved, what explains why there are so many occasions in our life where we have to consider these words. This is the ultimate explanation for why you lose a job. Why perhaps you held a dying child in your arms. Or you had to shovel dirt over a wife of 60 years. This explains your going out and your coming in, your work, your occupation. It explains why you're married to whom you're married, the children you have, and the personality of those children. All of it, all of it, concerns Jesus preparing your place. Jesus prepares that place also by preparing the church. It's not just about you and me here and now. But Jesus has been preparing a place for all of his people since he spoke these words. As I said, there's a place, and he's been preparing a place not only for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Jeremiah, and Isaiah, but his disciples. For all his believing people as a church, he has been gathering a church. We've been considering that in the book of Ephesians, have we not? How Jesus has been building, but building here on the earth, building a church, calling a church, calling people into that church, making them members of himself, and thus preparing a place. With these words, Jesus intends to comfort us. He intends it to be healing balm, to be a 
prescription. Notice this prescription comes in the form of an admonition. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be troubled. Maybe there's reason to be troubled. Maybe there's reason to be troubled when you look out over your life and you see that this has happened or that has happened. Troubled because of what's going on around you. What's going on in the church? What's going on in your own life? Obviously, there's many things to be troubled about. And perhaps even more troubled because, well, we say to ourselves, where is Jesus? Is Jesus helping? Is Jesus working here? And Jesus says about all that, let not your heart be troubled. Notice that part of the prescription is not simply now, do not be troubled. Recognize even that it's sinful to be troubled, that to be troubled has to do with unbelief. It has to do with doubt. It has to do with uncertainty. But at the same time, he reminds them of something. Why they ought not be troubled. Ye believe in me. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Notice how he puts it. Notice he first connects us to God. You believe in God. Why is that? Because that's almost a given. Is it not true that when we suffer death and loss and trouble and hardship, one of the first things we think about as children of God is, well, God did this? In fact, that's one of the reasons we're troubled. God did this. I thought God loved me. I thought God cared to me. Why, why is He doing this? Why is He bringing this trouble and this affliction? You believe in God, don't you? You can't say those things if you don't believe in God. But then comes an admonition. Every, every bit is serious. And every bit meant by Jesus as let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Then believe also in me. Why is that important? Because then you see the love of God. You see, if you look at God, you believe in God, you trust in God, you acknowledge God, but you do so without Jesus Christ, apart from Jesus Christ, then you will be troubled. Very troubled. And troubled because you won't see the love of God. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, which is what Jesus is going to go on and explain as the way, the truth, and the life, and you see all those things in that light. And that changes everything. And it changes everything significantly because then you can see, oh, He's preparing my place. He's preparing me for that place. He's working, carefully crafting, even though it may be painful, even though it may hurt. He's preparing me for my place, the place that God has ordained for me in his house from the beginning of time, that place that's shaped just so-so, that has a certain unique place, and he wants me to fit that, to occupy that place. You see, this explains so much. Do you not see that as the prescription? This puts everything in place. What are earthly mansions? What are earthly mansions? What are the homes that you live in worth? What do they mean to you if you have that kind of mansion already in heaven? You see, the disciples were troubled because they were far too concerned about their earthly homes, which I'm sure weren't mansions. They were concerned about their earthly occupation and job and, and, and other things, which is exactly why even Peter would deny Jesus before the morning came. We say it can't happen to us, but it happens all the time. It's why when you have children of God that are living in a mud hut somewhere, this kind of word of God comes and it means everything to them because they can't even imagine living anything more than a mud hut. 
So let this be part of the work of the Spirit whereby the ascended Lord directs our eyes up and not around us in our houses, in our homes, in our mansions and places. They mean nothing. What about all the things that happen? Well, we talked about that. But let's talk about death. It's one thing to talk about sickness and disease. And yes, we're troubled often because we say to ourselves, I don't deserve this. I don't need this. Aren't I just the way I'm supposed to be? And the answer is no, 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 no. The Lord knows what He's doing, but next time there's a a death and you ask yourself why, remember the answer. Because their place was done. It was finished. There's a child that goes home at the age of two. The question is why? And the answer is because their house was finished. Jesus finished It was all prepared. It was all ready to go. And He calls them home to that place. Another saint may linger on this earth until they're 90-some years old. Their place isn't done yet. Jesus is working on that place. This is the work of Jesus Christ. And this is the comfort of the gospel that He brings to us tonight in His ascension. Let not your heart be troubled oh maybe we still doubt did you hear what else Jesus said if it were not so I would have told you oh yes maybe there's not a heaven maybe it's all an illusion maybe it's all just make-believe maybe it's not true maybe it's not real how can all this be And Jesus promises us if it weren't true I'd have told you so much do I love you that I would have laid it out for you. I would have told you exactly what was deficient, what was wrong, and I would have worked to fix it. But it's true. It's true. You can take my word for it. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, O Lord our God, we thank Thee for Thy word of truth. We thank Thee for our Lord Jesus Christ and His ascension into heaven. And we long, we long to be with Thee, our God. Prepare us for our place. Prepare us, O Lord, and give us grace to not be troubled, and not be unbelieving, to not be filled with bitterness and doubt over our place here on this earth. Help us to see the truth of Thy good and wonderful Word. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.